Welcome to The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio. I'm Richard Grund. This is where we get back to basics, the red letter basics, by examining the Word of God and especially the Book of Acts Church to see how the early church served the Lord. Our desire is to find and restore the priesthood of the believer and regain the world-shaking influence that the early church had. We do that by taking a deeper look into how they did things, digging into Scripture, finding the church the Lord intended and not the one that man created. Because the church age is not over. And what happened in the upper room is as much for today as it was on the day of Pentecost. So if you know that, and if you know that there's more to your spiritual walk with Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth, and you want more, then join us on our journey as we get back to basics to do what needs to be done to get ready for the return of the King. If you have any questions, visit firefalltalkradio.com. Use the contact button or write us directly at the porch, one word, lowercase, at firefalltalkradio.com. If you'd like to support what we do, and we appreciate each and every one of you that do, at the bottom of the Firefall Talk Radio homepage, there are ways to do so. If you need more information, just reach out to us. Welcome to all of our listeners from the various streaming platforms. Thank you for being a part of the porch. Remember, if you need prayer or you want to pray for others, just let us know. And never forget, whether I know your name or not, whether I know your particulars, we care about you. Make sure to subscribe to us on uh, Facebook, Instagram. I still call it Twitter, but it says X. I guess X marks the spot of where Twitter used to be. And there are links on the Firefall website for all of that and for all the places that we stream. Now, we've always started out with praise reports and prayer requests, and I felt led to go back to basics. So I praise the Lord for my home. First of all, my salvation. I'm not here if I don't have that. My home, my wife, my family, our furry kids, and everything that I have, all the technology in this room so that I could be here with you. I praise him for his protection, uh, for his ministry that he allows me to work. I praise him for all of you for the dreams and the visions, for his healing virtues. Uh, I praise him to be able to praise him for everything, that I am renewed, I am born again, that my spirit man can praise him. Someday we'll see him face to face. I praise him for the signs of the times which are telling us he's getting ready to return. All of creation is groaning for the return of the king, and we're a part of that. So let's praise him for the coming kingdom in the new Jerusalem. I pray for the fatherless, the widows, the innocents, the victims of injustice, and our brothers and sisters who are martyred for their faith, for divine wholeness, for health and healing in me, in my, my wife, my family, each one of you, as we get back to our divine design, not what we've done to our body, not what our ancestral lineage has done, but to get back to how he made us. So I pray right now for healing for all all of you who are sick or you have a specific physical need. I pray for protection. We live in a fallen world. There's an enemy seeking to destroy us. So I pray that Psalm 91 covering over each one of us. 
Pray for inspiration, the fire of the Holy Spirit to rise up in us for the remnant who I'm speaking to and speaking about to wake up, to rise up, to answer the call to action. Calling for you to be blessed. And I'm calling for those that have been blessed to be a blessing. Remember, if one can put a thousand to flight, our combined prayers should put the enemy on the run, should be able to topple mountains, faith-filled prayers. We need that covering during the supernaturally active time. A lot of stuff going on the world, around the world, earthquakes and floods. Thousands of people have, have died, fires. It's all there. And if you want to ignore it and put your head in the sand, that's fine. Can't be very comfortable, but that's fine. But we're in a time that feels different than ever before. The enemy knows it's their time, and they've ramped up their attacks, so we need to take a stand. It's time to be more aggressive in our prayers against the schemes of the fallen. And like David, rushing towards the giant, running towards the enemy with confidence, purpose, and power, Praying for edification and encouragement to each and every one of you to go on. Stand up. Pick your head up. Know who your daddy is and know who you serve. Taking down principalities that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God. I'm praying that we can continue to operate efficiently in the calling. Exposing the enemy. Seeking the lost. Helping the dying and destroying the works of the enemy, setting the captives free, in our case, living out Luke 4.18, to become highly mobile. Kingdom changes are coming. They're happening every day. So we're going to become highly mobile, and we're going to take that dunamis explosive power out into the world to do what needs to be done, signs and wonders, his presence in us and with us. And it's time for the day-to-day blessings to flow. So, Father, we come before you. We offer up these prayers to you. And we thank you for who you are as our daddy. You loved us when we were unlovable. You redeemed us when you did not have to, making a way where there seemed to be no way from the garden to Calvary. That's the love of a father, the deep abiding love So thank you for that. Let my brothers and sisters feel how much you love them. If they've never felt it before, let this be the night. Let this be the time that they feel your heart, that they know, that they know, that they know that they are loved by their Heavenly Father. And Lord, thank you for doing that for us, to making that available, to bringing us into the throne room, allowing us to sit with you in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power. We thank you for who you are, what you've done, what you're doing, and what you're going to do so that we can glorify you and bring your name out into the world, bring your power and your salvation to the lost and the dying. Thank you for sending back the Holy Spirit to do what only he could do to encourage us and to teach us and to remind us what it's really all about. It's all about you. It's all about Yeshua. It's all about the kingdom. So, Lord, bless the technology. Watch over everything. Have your way. Do as you will, Holy Spirit. And I pray all these things. And if you agree with me, in Yeshua's name, 
Amen. Lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. Combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. So we're still talking about the remnant mindset, part three, and I'm I'm really not sure how how long it's going to go, but as long as he wants it, we're going to do it. And I'm hoping that you're hearing this. I'm hoping that you're understanding why this is important, why you need to know who you are in him, what he needed from us. Because for too long, in my opinion, the church has lost its way. The contemporary church has become a mixture of the traditions of men and the ways of the world. And what was once a vibrant, explosive church has become stagnant from dead religion. And the remnant, I believe, is seeking to escape dead religion and get back to basics, and that's why I'm sharing this with you. So the remnant, something left over, the righteous people of God, um, that which is left over, that which remains, the residue, one who escapes, and we are, we're escaping from dead religion, a survivor, When we do that, whether no matter what it is, an epidemic, a, a famine, a drought, or a war like this, what I'm talking about tonight, the war against religion, the, what the enemy has done to the supernatural, world-shaking church that the Lord created, we're coming out. We are the ones who escape. We have survived all of the bad teachings and all of the religious practices that have driven us from the pews into the homes, onto the Internet. The worst thing that ever happened to the church was being taken out of the homes and putting in buildings, put in buildings. What is putting in? Putting in is they even putting it in buildings. Um, that's the worst thing that ever happened. Because they became stagnant, and they sat down, and it became a spectator sport. We were never supposed to be that. We were never supposed to be a Christian church. It was always supposed to be a Messianic church, fulfilled uh, fulfillment of prophecy. I've said this since I got saved. I said, I've said it to Orthodox Jews in New York, and I can tell you the response it was not good. That Yeshua didn't come to start a new religion. He came to fulfill an old one. But what happened was we lost our identity. We got fooled into assuming a new one. You know, in Acts eleven twenty six, it says that he, Barnabas, found Paul and took him to Antioch. And for that whole year, they assembled with the church. And taught a great many people, the church being the people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. They were believers. They were disciples. 
the Greek and the Romans called them Christians because they worshiped Christ, which is the Greek term for Messiah. And it replaced the term Messiah because Messiah is very Jewish. And they didn't want that very subtle shift. Oh, it's the same thing. No, it's not. Josephus called them a tribe of Christians. Tacitus, the Roman historian, referred to them as Christians, a name derived from Christ. Originally, the church called themselves the way, but then they just figured, well, we'll just keep this Christian thing, even though they knew it was meant to ridicule them. But what happened was Antioch, predominantly Gentile, sent out the first missionaries who are Greek, and so they brought it in a Greek package. But it was never supposed to be that. Ephesians chapter 2, starting verse 11. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Messiah, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of the promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Messiah Yeshua, you once who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. For he is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two thus making peace. The two men, Jew, Gentile, now one, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near, far off of the Gentile, nearby of the Jews, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father." See, socially and religiously, traditionally, the Jews were divided from the Gentiles. Now, Gentile proselytes, they could come into the temple, but there was a low wall that marked the boundary from which the Gentiles were not allowed to step. That's the wall that was broken down, the distinction between Jew and Gentile. The cross knocked that wall down shattered it, and reconciled both Jew and Gentile, not only to God, but to each other. In the Holy Spirit, the Ruach Kakadesh gives both Jewish and Gentile believers access to the throne of God. Romans 8, starting verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, those are the sons of God, children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Messiah, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So the symbol of the early church was the fish. When they met in secret, they would look for the marking of the fish in the ground or outside the area, and they would know that that was the place they were meeting. 
So the symbol went from the fish to the first century combination of the menorah, the star of David, and the fish. And in the eye of the fish was the ancient Hebrew letter Tav, which also resembles a cross, symbolizing that the church is now grafted into Jew and Gentile grafted together through the cross. But they were originally called Nazarenes. Now, when this messianic seal was found, it changed things. And according to Bob Fisher, president of Olam Creative Products and co-author with local historian and artist Reuven Schmaltz of their book, The Messianic Seal of Jerusalem, the Jerusalem Church, that's the church that James was the overseer of, the ancient three-part symbol has since 135 A.D. been suppressed by various Israeli groups or agencies such as the Israel Museum and Orthodox rabbis in the old city of Jerusalem, while simultaneously being buried for these nearly two millennia by the church. What they found was a clay cask that contained oil, and on that was the symbol, the menorah that flowed into the Star of David that flowed into the fish. So commenting on what he characterized as the monumental importance of this archaeological discovery, Fisher said, Beyond the historical background of the Nazarenes, the first Jewish believers who founded the Jerusalem church, the Messianic seal itself proclaims to the world the pervasive Jewishness of Jesus Christ and the decidedly Jewish foundation and roots of the church founded in his name. The Messianic seal of the Jerusalem church, Fisher continued, strikes at the very roots of anti-Semitism while proclaiming a compelling message that restores unity. Jew with Jew and Jew with Gentile. The importance of this discovery cannot be minimized. The Messianic seal is not only just the key to understanding the Dead Sea Scrolls, it can and should shake the foundations of the Church and Orthodox Judaism with its incredible message of unity and love. It breaks down barriers that have existed for millennia and points the way toward restoration. I believe when the New Jerusalem comes, when the world has to come before him to worship, that is the spirit within which we will worship him. Jew and Gentile grafted together in one new creation. So removing the true origins and the nature of that first century Book of Acts church became the first wrinkle in the material that he set aside, that first wrinkle in the remnant that became more wrinkled over time and can only be straightened out and steamed out by the purifying fire of the Holy Spirit. But Satan, in his satanic, demonic nature, is diabolically brilliant. He knows he can't confront us in power. He knows he can't outdo the Holy Spirit. So what he has to get us to do is screw it up. And, you know, even in ministry, you know, dealing in deliverance, you cast out spirits, you cast out demons. But there's one spirit I can't cast out. Yep, there is one, and I'm good. I'm really good at what I do in the Lord. 
but there's one spirit I can't cast out, and that's your spirit. Yeah, you. Most problems start with the individual spirit. They made a choice. They opened a door. They refused to repent, on and on. And then the enemy began to attach itself like ticks on a dog or, or barnacles on a, on a sea animal. Until finally, they need help. So the spirit of the Sadducees needed a building structure to rule from. The spirit of the Pharisees needed a hierarchy and a caste system to control the people with. And the religious spirit needed both and a building to disrupt and destroy what the Lord was doing. And so contemporary Christianity has fallen into the same errors of both the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Last week I told you about a book called Pagan Christianity Exploring the Roots of Our Church Practices by Frank Viola and George Bonner. And if you really want to know the truth and you're willing to hear it and see it, get the book. But it will shake you. If you're a dyed-in-the-wool, pew-sitting, stage-looking, old-time religion person, that book is going to shake you. But that first-century church, the one that I talk about, wasn't perfect, but they were organic. They were alive. They were a breathing organism, a fire-breathing organism that is vastly different than the institutional church we have today. It was like the Lord. It was like the disciples. It brought that power out into the world instead of sitting on their spiritual cushions and doing nothing. It had a DNA that reproduced itself. And so what did we do? We began to borrow from the pagan culture, and we began to borrow from contemporary culture, and we began to squeeze it together, and out became this institutional dead religion. Oh, brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you something. If you don't know it already, the remnant is tired of the institutions. It's tired of denominations. It's tired of the routines and the dog and pony show getting in the way of the rich, vibrant connection with him. They're worn out on the endless programs that fail. And it's time that the body of Messiah get in touch with both the Word of God, the foundation of what we believe in the history of the Book of Acts Church, to arrive at a better understanding of what we can and should do as well as we cannot and should not do. Now, having the mind of the Lord is so much more than we understand. It is a remnant mindset. Remember, if religion, if the religion of the day was good enough, he would have used the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He wouldn't have picked fishermen and tax collectors. Religion wasn't good enough. No, it needed a remnant mindset, born of trials and afflictions, which propel us into his presence, which puts us into a place of intimacy. Little children with their hands up in the air, crying out, Abba, Father. And even before I understood this, even before I, I saw what was wrong with what I was doing in a traditional building, whenever I worshiped the Lord and threw my hands up, I always knew 
It was me putting my hands up like a little boy looking for my daddy to pick me up. But what I'm talking about doesn't come from comfortable Christianity. Christianity. I am so jacked up right now. I need a seatbelt to keep me in this chair. But being comfortable is what got us to where we are now. We need to get back to being believers that walk and talk and have a lifestyle as much as a mindset. We are to be building his kingdom with no distinctions in people, nor bound to a building or a place, and definitely not bound to man-made traditions. And how do we get here? Religion. Man-made religion. Religion, according to Merriam-Webster Dictionary, is a personal set or institutionalized system of religious attitudes, beliefs, and practices. It is a cause, a principle, or a system of beliefs held to with ardor and faith. I tell you what, if you've ever been in church or around somebody with a religious spirit, Boy, they are passionate about their rules and their regulations and their traditions. I used to make a joke that sometimes when I was allowed to speak or teach or gave a prophecy in tongues that interpreted, um, I, I fully expected some of the super religious old Pentecostals in that church, you know, for the women's buns on their head to start spinning and, uh, you know, just crazy things. In fact, I've heard of complaints about the fact that Pastor Shelley let that uh, New York Italian with the earring and the hair slicked back that walked out on his family allowed him to give allowed me to give prophecies and interpretations and lay hands on people and do deliverances and thankfully Shelley was a lot like me and he didn't care what they thought he did what the Lord wanted. Was I perfect? No, I look back on those days and I cringe at the mistakes I make. I look made. I look back on some of my teachings and I hang my head, but I didn't know. I didn't know better. I do now. The religion's a set of beliefs concerning the cause, nature, and purpose of the universe, especially when considered as the creation of a superhuman agency or agencies a set of fundamental beliefs that a bunch of people agree upon. I mean, that's Christian religion, Buddhist religion, Jewish religion. I don't do religion. Now, what's your religion? I don't do religion. Well, what are you? I'm a believer. What does that mean? I believe in Yeshua. That's it. I don't do religion. That should be a T-shirt. I don't do religion. Um... The religious mindset that I'm talking about has been fatal to his church. It's driving people away from him into form and formality. And I get it. I get it. People are afraid if left to their own devices, they won't do what's right. They need to be told what to do. Sheep are like that. Tell me where the, tell me where the grass is and tell me where the pen is and point the way and I'll go. The problem was the enemy took advantage of that, brought in wolves and sheep's clothing, and we began to think like the world instead of thinking 
with a kingdom mindset about building his kingdom. But I got news for you. If nobody told you, his kingdom is not of this world. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourselves what is the will of God, what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. That word transformed comes from the Greek word meaning metamorphosis, a process that leads to an outward permanent change. We are being changed from the inside out. People that want religion want the outside in. They want to see it on the outside. You need to dress right. You need to do this. You need to show up at this time. You need to sit here. You need to stand up. I was raised Roman Catholic. We did the standing up and the kneeling down and the sitting down, one foot in, one foot out, do the hokey pokey and shake it all about. And I could do it. I could snap too. I could flip that kneeler down with my feet, get down there on the floor when it came time to sit down. I could flip it up with my feet and catch it so it didn't slam the back of the pew in front of me. I had it down. I had the ritual down. I had the dance down. And I had a straight path to hell from doing all the things I was doing because church wasn't changing me at all. Because nobody ever told me about Jesus. I took a Baptist at a ranch camp to tell me about the Lord. But we seem to think we know better. Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9 say, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my way higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And yet we still think that we can outthink him. We think that we know what he's thinking. Oh boy, is that not true? We don't. Because his wisdom, his love, his mercy is unlike anything the world can understand or implement. And that's why we need Yeshua and that's why we need the Holy Spirit discovered a new book. Actually, I've had it. I just didn't know about it. It was in my software. It's called Church Without Walls, Moving Beyond Traditional Boundaries by Jim Peterson. And I really want to stop and read it, the whole thing, instead of grabbing pieces of it for you. And I will. But he says, I find it strange that the references to the kingdom of God are so prominent in the New Testament and so rare today. The good news of the kingdom is the message that Jesus brought. And we've talked about that. You're not fooled by that. You know you've heard it. We've talked about the kingdom. We went on a multi-series. I think it was 10 parts about the kingdom of God. But the truth is, It's not a popular topic. People don't know it. They don't talk about it. They're building their kingdom. They're building their brand. 
They have their name on their ministry. In Matthew 9, verse 35, Yeshua went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, for they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Matthew twenty four fourteen and the gospel and this gospel of the kingdom, not just any gospel of the kingdom, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. You know, every time I read that, I hear the same thing in my head. Maybe the reason he hasn't come yet is because we haven't done that. It is the message that Yeshua said preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. That message, Paul proclaimed that message. Peter, James, John. The gospel of the kingdom, kingdom of God, not the kingdom of man, not the kingdom of, of denominations or anything else, but the kingdom of our heavenly Father. The, the king is coming. And he's going to make it all right. He's going to tear it down. And out of that, we're going to spend a thousand years with him. And then spend eternity forever. See, but that's what Paul was doing. Even when he was being imprisoned in home arrest. In Acts 28, that's what he is. He's in, he's locked in his home because he wanted an audience and he wanted to tell them. So when the appointed day had come, many came to his lodging, the Jews, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Yeshua from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken and some disbelieved. So when they did not agree amongst themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Therefore, Paul went on, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when he said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute amongst themselves. And Paul spent two whole years in his rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, with all confidence, no one forbidding him. See, that's why the Lord chose Paul. Paul was a student of Gamaliel. He was a Jew. He had studied. He knew the prophecies. He knew the Torah. He knew all of the history. 
and he began to show it to them, and some were convinced and some weren't. How are you going to tell anybody anything if you don't know the Word? You don't know where to find it. You don't know enough about it for the Holy Spirit to paraphrase it for you. You need to get in this Word. You need to get back to basics. You, if, if you haven't done it, I suggest you do it at least once. Read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Take your time. Understand with your reading so that you know where to find what you need at the moment you need it. But the gospel of the kingdom is the rock on which Yeshua said, I will build my church in Matthew sixteen eighteen. There are more references in the New Testament to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven than there are to church or churches. This is still from Jim Peterson. So I'm not implying that the church is unimportant, simply that it's not all that there is. There is something greater. When the good news of the kingdom is preached, the church happens. When we concentrate on the building of the church, we tend to reproduce our familiar forms. Let me read that again. That just jumped out at me, and this is about the third time I've read it today. When the good news of the kingdom, when the kingdom is preached, the church happens. It becomes active. It is activated. Today, while Lyon and I were talking and praying and I began to talk about this, I could feel it. The air in the room began to change. My body became energized because the Holy Spirit was triggering inside of me because I was talking about the most important thing that there is, the kingdom of God and the Lord. And when we don't focus on that, but we focus on programs and and rituals and buildings, all we do is reproduce that. We need to get back to basics. Psalm 94, 11, the Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are futile. And yet we apply man-made thinking to his kingdom. I saw it over and over at Christian Heritage. I saw how Man-made thinking and schedules and programs and rituals could quench the spirit. There was a point, I forget what year it was, where we were exploding. Signs and wonders. Uh, Sunday services would go on very long because the spirit wouldn't let go. Of course, those people that had to get to the buffet at 12 o'clock, they left. But the people that really wanted the Lord, they stayed and it got, we had to put chairs in the aisles, and the people were standing up in the back, and it was vibrant, and it was exciting. And then Shelly and the leaders and the board and the staff, they went to some conference and came back with a new program and a new plan. And the Holy Spirit went, well, if that's what you're going to do, I'll just, uh, I'll just sit in the back and let you do your thing. And all of that stopped. And to be honest with you, that we died a slow death. And then the Lord yanked me and my family out of there and eight other people. And we started a home church and had the same signs and wonders and had the same excitement. And the same thing happened. Looking for a building, looking for a storefront, looking to do the church thing. Isn't that always the way? We're always seeking. We're always seeking that, aren't we? The Even now, how many of you? have said, 
yeah, this is great, but I need a place to bring my kids so they can do their thing. And I need to, you know, I'm going to tell you this right now. The best thing that could happen is all these churches get shut down and drive people back into the homes so that families have to come together and not stare at the back of somebody else's head. We were doing praise and worship on an overhead projector on a sheet hanging from my ceil- our ceiling in the family room off of CDs, and it was powerful. We were sitting together, people all over the room, on the chairs and the sofa. We started to put out more chairs. Some sat on the floor. The greatest experience of church I have ever had, of being the church. People are seeking more of God. The remnant's tired. I know I am. It's tired of institutions. It's tired of denominations. It's tired of routines. Endless programs. No transformation. It's tired of all the interference with the meaningful connection with him. And somehow, instead of being transformed, we have conformed and been tricked into thinking that the kingdom has to follow trends. We we need to follow popular trends. Yep, that's the thing. We're seeker-friendly. We don't step on anybody's toes. We don't talk about sin. We don't talk about the blood. We want you to leave here edified and lifted up and dragging the same chains with you that you brought when you came in. Trends, a prevailing tendency or inclination, a general movement, a current style or preference, a, a, a new approach to things as if God couldn't design a Bible that would transcend time And the Lord couldn't give us a calling that had nothing to do with trends. Pick a trend. Mega churches. Seeker churches. Satellite campuses. Vacation Bible school. Children's church. And I get why some people think that's important. But I will tell you this. When we had our home church, we were going to start out with taking the kids into another room. And then I said, no, the Lord never did that. He never sent the children away. They sat and listened, and even though we don't think they understand, his word does not return void, and it's going into their minds. Special group ministries, singles, women, men, young marrieds, no marrieds, eunuchs. No, I don't. we didn't have that. Contemporary worship music. No, we need to follow the trends, and we need to do music. Big screens. Lights, smoke on the stage. Well, they're not given enough. Well, let's let's let them do electronic fund transfers, slap it down or whatever. Cell groups, which are good to a point. I'm sorry, folks. All that needs to go away. Now, it's not inherently wrong, but it has some. It has replaced. The simplicity of the gospel. Reliance on marketing strategies and and doing things, you know, to appeal to people. If you notice, I don't do that. 
could I have a bigger following, a bigger audience, or could we take in more money? Absolutely. I can't do it. I won't do it. I've never done it. If the Spirit inspires people to give, that's great. But I don't I do not do the brand thing. I don't do the marketing thing. I share what I feel needs to be shared. Just because I love him so much, I am not going to have you see him through me. So we need, that's why I'm doing this, to compare the history of the church with the Word of God to get a better, better understanding, again, of what we can do what we should do, and what we cannot and should not do. Again, in Church Without Walls, Moving Beyond Traditional Boundaries by Jim Peterson, when we look at the church, we view it through a traditional paradigm. For example, we all know churches have sanctuaries, pulpits, pews, and a clergy. For us, it's difficult to think of a church without any of these familiar components. Pagan Christianity explains why we do all that. He goes on to say, but what if for some reason it suddenly became impossible to have those things? Would the church cease? Or could we change the paradigm and carry on? God's people started without any of these things and did very well. And God's people in each East Asia have functioned basically without any of these resources for over 40 years, actually 50 years by this point. And what he's talking about, to give you an example, in October of 1949, the communists took over East Asia. All foreign missionaries were expelled, and the national leaders they had trained were either church leaders that had been trained were either imprisoned or killed. In 1957, those who had persisted in the faith were sent to prison camps. All the church official churches were under government control and were closed from 1966 to 1976. And the surviving Christians were forced to change their understanding of church to survive. And survive they did, growing from 5 million to an estimated 50 million in a period of 40 years. Persecution causes the church to grow. Very uncomfortable. Nobody wants to hear that. But after Stephen was martyred in Acts 8, not only did the persecution of the church escalate, but the church grew. Acts 8, verse 1, Saul was consenting to his, Stephen's death. Matter of fact, he stood there and held the clothes of the men that were stoning him. And at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, the places they were told to be going, but they had settled down, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made a great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison." They were forced out into Judea and Samaria. They took 
what they believed with them. They took the Spirit with them. They took Yeshua with them, and the church began to grow. And the more they got persecuted, the more they grew. So I'm hoping you're recognizing that what we do in religious circles has no precedent in Scripture. None. The things we do within church services. The education and ordination of clergy. Where did that came from? That came from them controlling who could preach and what they would teach. Routines that we use in youth ministry. How we fund the ministry. The music that we use the very presence or design of the church buildings. And there were three historical periods from the apostolic age to where we got our practices today when Constantine took over leadership of the church after the Council of Nicaea. The Protestant Reformation, though it did great things, it also gave us some of the form and formality. I think I've told you this. You know why most churches have their services at 10 a.m.? Church used to be at 8 a.m., but Martin Luther used to like to go to the bars to talk theology and have some, you know, beers, and he got tired of getting up at 8 o'clock, so he figured, let's make it 10 a.m. Boy, that was a spiritual decision, wasn't it? And then you had the Great Awakening. In the midst of all the explosive signs and wonders, we got a, we took a lot of that, assimilated it, and said, well, if it worked for them, it should work for us. Let's do more of it. Do it again. Do it four times. Instead of letting the Spirit do whatever He wants. Again, the home church, that was what was exciting. I wasn't jaded yet. I wasn't burnt by ministry yet. I was free enough in the Spirit If whatever the Holy Spirit said to do, I did. And he had his way. And we had signs and wonders until I took control and tried to build what he was already building. We just can't keep our hands off of. And I'm not saying these are bad people. They're passionate people, but ill-informed. All Satan has to do is get in an ear and whisper, hey, maybe maybe you should change that one thing. Do this a little different. Why don't you do that again? We get it into our minds. Don't just sit there. Do something. Well, maybe we should be thinking, don't do anything. Just wait on the Lord. Luke twenty four forty nine. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem till you are endued, till you are soaked in with power from on high, dunamis. And so the Lord arose, and they returned to Jerusalem, Acts one twelve, from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they entered, they went into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, 
And they all continued in one in one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Yeshua. The last time we hear about Mary in the history of the church is Acts one fourteen, and uh, the mother of Yeshua and his brothers. And in those days, after you know they maybe they prayed, maybe they praised. Peter stands up and wait a second, what? Peter stands up amongst the 120. He said, Terry, Peter, settle down. Wait, are you about to hold a meeting? Peter, are you about to hold a meeting and replace Judas? That's exactly what they did. And they chose Matthias. When actually the Lord had chosen Paul. While he was still Saul. Terry. Wait, settle down. Good intentions are not always God intentions. But believers will go along with the ride. And if there's anything positive that comes from it, I will tell you this. The Holy Spirit will use whatever it needs to get the job done. He'll, he used the donkey to stop the madness of a prophet. Just because he uses it is not a validation of it. A lot of things the Lord has to wind up using aren't his best for us. If it doesn't line up with the Word, and if it doesn't line up with the Spirit, and if it doesn't glorify the Lord, we shouldn't want it. So my question becomes, and I'm including you, and if you want to write me, if you want to challenge me, that's fine, but you better do some homework. Does traditional equal biblical? Say so you can answer them. You know, talk amongst yourself. Um, does traditional equal biblical? Well, what is a tradition? An inherited, established, customary pattern or thought, action or behavior, such as a religious practice or social custom. A tradition is a belief, or story, or body of beliefs of stories relating to the past that are commonly accepted as historical, though not verifiable. Tradition is the handling of information, beliefs, and customs by word of mouth or example from one generation to another without written instruction. We have written instructions called your Bible. Open it. Tradition is the cultural continuity and social attitudes, customs, and institutions. So are these things and the people that did them well-meaning? Maybe. More than likely. Are they slightly off? Maybe, more than likely. So what's the problem? It's that one degree off course thing. Remember that? For every degree you fly off course, you miss your target by 92 feet every mile that you fly. So for every 60 miles you fly, you miss your target by one mile. You fly around the equator where you land will be 500 miles off target. If you were just flying from JFK to LAX and you're one degree off, you'll be 50 miles off course. So without course corrections, like we're talking about, even a small 1% deviation from the original plan, that original flight plan lands the plane, could land it in a different country. The Bible is our flight plan. 
and we got off course. A little bit of time until what, over 300 years after the death and resurrection of the Lord, it became completely off course. And we noticed something wasn't right, but we didn't make any changes. A fellowship of believers became set apart professionals, ministers, or clergy, aided by volunteers, laity. We now use terms like contemporary church, traditional church, present-day church, modern church. Could be a George Carlin routine there. And what we're really referring to is the institutional church of the day. An institutional church is one that operates primarily as an organization that exists above and beyond and independent of the members who populate it, based more on programs and rituals than on relationships. Again, I sat in a church, Christian Heritage. I think they had 2,000 people on the rolls. We could only fit about twelve or 1,300 if they all showed up at the same time. And I cannot tell you the number of people that never personally spoke to Pastor Shelley. Well, that's just not how. I have to make an appointment with this secretary. And my wife can tell you, I don't put up with that. One woman really needed to talk to him. So I just grabbed her by the hand. And at the end of a church service, I said, come with me. And I walked her right up on stage. And Shelley was talking to somebody. He saw me out of the corner of his eye. And he came over. I introduced her. He knew who she was, but she'd never spoken to him. And she got to speak to him. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, says the Lord, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them, meaning the enemy cannot kill them and stop them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Mark sixteen fifteen through 18. All authority, the Lord says, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen through 20. All authority, all power, all rule in heaven and earth has been given to him from his Father. Go then, and apply dispensation of authority. Go then, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, says the Lord. And behold, I am with you all the days, perpetually, uniformly, and on every occasion, through the infilling of the Holy Spirit, to the very close and consummation of the age. Amen. The Lord saying to you, in view of my authority, I commission you with the full power of attorney to carry on the work that I have started. Go then. Get going. Make disciples. Disciples, one who repents of sin, trusts in the Lord for salvation, and obeys his teachings. 
I want to end with this. I'm going to pick up more next week. I know many of you have been interested in spiritual warfare, and I've touched on it, but I'm going to tell you the greatest single act of spiritual warfare is to plunder the strong man's goods, saving souls, and creating disciples that will do the same. Father, Lord, Holy Spirit, I believe I've got their attention for you right now. I pray you would flood their minds, their hearts, their souls, and their spirits with your word, with your word for them, with your course correction for them. Begin to change them from the inside out. Begin to take away the false teachings and the and the religious activities and all the things that have been done to them. Wash them. We have washed them with the word. Now wash them with the spirit. Completely set them free. Make them dynamic, powerful agents of change for you in a lost and dying world amongst other believers who are dying from the weight of religion. Set them free. Let's go do what you need us to do. Let's shake this world one last time. And then let's celebrate at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And let's enjoy eternity with you in the new Jerusalem first and then in paradise forever in Yeshua's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord Adonai, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grund. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.